0: Hey guys, welcome back on the show. Uh, So this one is a little different from what I usually do, Uh, A, because I recorded this weeks ago uh, with my good friend Taylor. Uh, We had this great chat and it was quite long uh, and then I was just caught up in uh, launching Hullabilly To Go, which is just the way we're doing Hullabilly right now in those COVID times, so we just had to uh, set up this whole new thing and run it. ...for uh, about 17 services, and we just stopped for our Christmas holidays. So today is my second day of holidays, and I figured, well, now is the time to release this great episode that we recorded a while back. Um, It is different also in its duration, because usually when I used to record with the good people at WRP, What Radio Paris... Uh, there was a cap in terms of time. We used to uh, record it for uh, about half an hour, which I, you know, I was always going over. But the producers were nice, and that was that was fine. So we used to just do a forty minute episodes. Um, this time around, due to COVID, um, I'm just recording from home now. And um, the good thing about this is that I can reach out to people that are not um, physically in Paris. Uh, one of the f- most frustrating thing about this project has been really um, having people coming to the studio, and also it's, a, it's an English format. So I won't say that I tapped out in terms of like who I can invite, but um, I've talked to um, already a few people here in Paris that were willing to come on board. Uh, But the fact that now I can do this from home and also using a platform called Zencaster, uh, allowing me to interview people that could be pretty much anywhere, Uh, it's a great, great new prospect for the show. It means I can really, really reach out to pretty much anyone. So um, Taylor is the first one to be a guest in this new format. Um, of course, once you take the leash off me, uh, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> this episode is actually two hours long, which is just way too long. I mean, it doesn't fit any podcast format uh but we don't really care mine. I mean, you know this is this is just my show, and there's no f- real guidelines. It's just about talking to people that I like from the industry. Uh, and one of the big comments that I was getting from the show the way it was is that the episodes were too short. So, you know, careful what you wish for because uh, I'm coming at you with a two-hours-long episode. Um, I'm thinking just for the sake of just practicality, uh, I might cut this episode up in a few parts. Uh, but yeah, hope you really enjoy this one. Uh, this is a special episode to me because Taylor is really, 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 really... Um, Instrumental was really instrumental in my journey in hospitality, and she pretty much gave me my start in this business. So in this episode, we talk about when we used to work together, you know, back in Melbourne, and how she trained me to be a barista. How that that journey went, Uh, and then we focus on her and where she's been, what she's done, and where she's at today. Uh, She is a powerhouse of a woman. She's incredible. She's got so much energy, and I'm. Uh, I don't get impressed very often because you know I it's I've been doing this for a while and uh and, and 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 the level at which she practices this um art almost that is hospitality and entrepreneurship is crazy she's been doing so much for so long and uh I think that if you are new to this industry or if you're well seasoned uh you'll walk away with definitely uh a few important you know lessons and informations uh well, cool guys, I mean you know i don't intend to make this episode any longer than it already is uh enjoy the show and um i want I want to bring more to be honest, I want to bring more content more. Uh, episodes but um, you know just doing this uh, as in the meantime like while I'm doing everything else has been really complicated but you know no excuses we'll uh, more episodes are coming and uh, yeah enjoy the show and uh, while I'm here I wish you guys all a uh, very good happy Christmas and uh, I hope that you're doing okay in those weird times Uh, Merry Christmas enjoy your time off if you're getting any enjoy your family and uh, I'll talk to you soon hey guys welcome back on the show um it was a while since the last episode um again we're back in confinement here in paris and uh it's premium podcast making time uh i have such a huge guest on the show today and uh, preparing for this like five minutes before i told myself i have to really make a conscious effort of like Calm him down and not talking too fast because when I get excited, I just, I just I just ramble and I think I sound great and I make sense, but no one understands. So I really have to take a breather on that one, go yoga mode, and and really like breathe because I have so many questions for that guest. I haven't talked to that guest in seven years, and it's someone who's been instrumental. It's been such a big player in my life, and uh, I'm so excited that I managed to have her on the show today. But Calm down, Allery. Take your time. Breathe. You know, we have time. There's no rush. And we won't get to touch on everything I want to touch on. But, um, yeah, calm down. So, uh, my guest today uh, is my good, good friend, Taylor Brown, uh, that I've known for many, many years. And even though we don't talk every day, we don't talk ever because she's a really busy person. And I used to be quite a busy person myself. Uh, We don't really talk much, but uh, whenever we do... It's always great, and um, like I said, she she's really, really important to Holly Belly, to Sarah, and myself. So, Taylor, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I'm, I'm super excited that we managed to find a time to chat to each other. I think it's always quite ironic that we end up speaking, and it's the, the theme is work.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. Well- <laughs> And that's what we, that's, I feel like, I'm, I don't want to talk for you, but I feel like that, that's what we do, and that's what we're passionate about, and that's what keeps yeah. us moving, so it, it kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean to have a to have a good friend who is also has it has the same kind of passion as you. I guess that, that's how it is, right? But yeah, exactly. thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I mean, I have very few days off and when you sent me that message, it was like, Hey, can we do it tomorrow? It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, tomorrow is actually perfect. This is great. It's, it is
0: your day off, yeah? Time off, a little bit of time off.
1: It, means, it is. I have to I'm in the kitchen Saturday, Sunday. Um, and so my PA basically said to me, like, Taylor, you know what? You don't have to be here tomorrow. Let's just like, <laughs> ev- everything that was in this schedule, just clear it out and then just take the day, sleep in, do nothing. And I'm sitting bore, on the couch it? with um, a, a Holly belly mug full of, full of tea. And oh, so it's perfect. perfect.
0: Yeah. Oh, tea. Yeah. No coffee. That's uh, interesting. I had coffee this morning already, actually. Ah, There you <laughs> go. Because, okay. So that, that's the perfect segue. Uh, Taylor. Okay. I'm going to give you a bit of background. Um, go for it. Feel free to stop me. You're, you're, first and foremost, was a a big, big coffee personality, big coffee person Uh, back in my Melbourne days, uh, which was, yeah, like seven, eight, nine years ago. uh, You were 100% like this really, really, really good barista and and coffee was was what you were doing and so obviously now you still do that um but you you also included a um a donut uh and also maybe you'll correct me because i haven't been to your to to your places which i regret so like you'll have to help me uh talk about it but um Mm -hmm. so you're but you uh, did you come to hospitality through coffee was that your your door in
1: it was, it was, yeah. I Ever since I was actually a little kid, I always wanted to own my own cafe, weirdly enough. <laughs> my no mum told me that even when I was like four or five years old, I used to talk to her about making coffees for people and, and like having a cafe and making cakes and, ah. and doing those things. Yeah, it was always kind of my dream and I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but when you told people back in the day of like, yeah, that's my dream, that's what I want to do, it's like, yeah, but like are you going to go to university or Mm. it was always a little bit, oh, yeah, but what are you going to do when you want to have a real job?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, true, yeah.
1: Yeah, I told my parents I wanted to be a coffee professional and they're like, but what is that exactly? And I think they – They have changed their tune so much. They think like I'm one of their most successful children, which is so funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, I just always wanted to do it. So during high school, I I used to take like a couple of days off from school during the day and go and work in a cafe during the day because I wanted to like – I was doing like something in Australia, you call it a traineeship, um, where you basically get credits towards like a diploma pretty much um okay I'm pretty sure it was a scam to to like get cheap labor (laughs) really (laughs) because I was getting paid pennies but um I learned a ton and yeah I've been doing it since I was 13 so yeah since 2001 yeah so it's it's almost my two decades in this industry isn't that insane (laughs) that is insane
0: (laughs) I know but that's the thing though because like it's it's so funny, by the way you and I met, and like I can get into that story a little bit. It's a long story. But I'll tell it, but like I, I, I don't know if you knew that, but like when you and I worked together, when you pretty much made me because I, 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 I came to this industry very compared to you. Uh, I did other things before, and then I, I found my calling, so to speak, later in life. Uh, and and I, you just like because you knew so much already. I just I always assumed you were much older than you were because you were so. You, you you had it, you know, you were so comfortable training me and you were so good and you had that reputation and, and there was no way for me that you were that young, you know, and so like when I, much later on, when I found out your actual age, I was like, there's no way, you know, like, the, that, I that I just thought you were much older because you knew so much, but now you telling that story about starting at 13, well, then everything makes sense, you know.
1: But also, I think at that point in my career, you know, the whole thing that Matt Perger talked about, about the Dunning-Kruger effect of like, you think you know more than you know. Mm-hmm. I think I was, I was also, when I met you, I think I was also in that phase of like, really egotistical, so high on myself of like, yes, I've been doing this for so long and I know everything and I'm so confident. <laughs> and I think that false confidence kind of like took me places, I guess, but, yeah. but also now like uh, so much of so much of my like knowledge, it comes from a place of saying like, I know a bit but like, there's so much more to know. And there's so much more I can learn from others. And so much more that like, you know, I want my, my team to be better at than, than me. Like, I don't yeah. need to be the best at everything. And I think that, um, being comfortable in that and letting go of the ego has been a pretty big learning curve for me, to be honest, but definitely like when, when I met you for the first time, I think there's a lot of people who come into this indi- industry that say like, I want to open a cafe. Mm. And I, I know that that was like you and Sarah from when I met you were like, you know, we want to open a cafe and we want to go back to Paris and that's what we want to do. And uh, I, so many people I've met so many people like that. And you come with a, a, a hefty dose of skepticism about it. you of know course. Yeah. But when I met you, you were one of those people that like you, you did many things But you became a master at all of the things that you did because you had this, like, unyielding enthusiasm of a person I have never met before. And you actually said this to me, and it has been something that changed. I'm not even joking. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Like, it has changed the course of my life. You said something at one point of, like, you said just do the thing. Or I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was just basically about – not just talking about doing something, mm. but actually following through and doing the thing, and it no shit changed the course of my life. From <laughs> that moment, I was because I was talked to, always talked to be game, and then I'm like, but but yeah, I need to actually follow through and do the action. And yeah, it was when I met you. It was like this kind of crazy catalyst of like. Yeah, this
0: is. I'm so glad because, like I was saying, you were you were huge in our story, and like I always trace it back to you know now. So we've been doing Holly Belly for about seven years, um, and people always want to know, okay, so where does it come from? What's your story? And and for me, the starting point, uh, you know, minute one is very very close to you, and that's you know for me, you're the person who allowed me. To, to get started, really. And it was hard back in those days to get a start. Um, maybe we can talk about oh. that for, for a minute, you know, because I think I it's think quite interesting.
1: it's really interesting. important, actually. Okay. Really important because, you know, I was managing this cafe out in the sticks of Melbourne. Like, it, it had quite a great reputation because we were doing one of the best breakfasts in in mm-hmm. town. Um, but it was also quite far away, so people had to make a bit of a journey to get out there. So, of course, like, attracting um, you know, talented baristas people didn't want to work out in in Spotswood. <laughs> uh and I really believed in, in Andy and Bobby's dream. Like I was a hundred percent all in for what they were doing. And I think that I think you would agree with me, like this little microcosm of the universe that we had over in that in those oh. suburbs, like it was oh.
0: magic. <laughs> it was magical, it, it was magical. Was also yeah, yeah. now I think there's the filter of nostalgia in the years as well but like I mm. see that place as a bit of a yeah like you said it was a miracle it was it was um and I think they would disagree you know if if they were on the, on the show right now they because mm. they were seeing all the hardship of owning that place but we were we were in the we were in the passenger seat as, as employees and so we we knew it was hard and we, and we saw we saw them struggle ish uh, with the business a fair bit, but like for me, it was such a happy place. You know, I have I have only happy memories attached to this place. It was hard. You gave me a hard time, you know. Andy was giving me know. a hard time, but I'm so glad in retrospect. I loved every minute of it, you know, because if if it wasn't for Duchess in Spotswood, there would mm. be no me. There would be no Sarah. There would be no Hollybelly, and so uh, it really goes back to to that time in my life and so i'm gonna quickly go back and tell the story and then um uh, I, I would l- we never actually you left not in a hurry but like as i was i was on my journey in melbourne you started yours in paris and mm-hmm. so we never really had a chance to like debrief on that time of you i don't think uh, so. You know, you and I working together, and you training me. So, like, now is the time. And so, I'm gonna tell the story. But if you want to jump on and give your angle of that same story, I would oh god, love that. Now
1: I'm now I'm worried. What have I done to you?
0: <laughs> no, no, it was it was never like that. It was perfect. Um, so I was I was doing something very different, and uh, I was um, the minute I, I arrived in Melbourne. Not really quite the minute, but the minute I actually had my first breakfast at an auction room with Sarah, I was like, oh my god, there's something about this what's happening here you know you remember auction room Mm. um you know the food the coffee the vibe the service as a French person uh, quite young it it made a big impression on me and so Sarah and I always been toying with the idea of opening a business and 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 doing food a bit differently and um and so auction room was definitely like that's that's what we need to be doing and so anything from that point on was like how do I you know make that move that transition from doing what I do um kind of boring computer design, not boring, but I I, th- I was definitely seeing the end of that to just be a barista and make coffee. And I remember back in those days, people were like, it's so funny that you want to go that way because usually people are baristas so that they can sustain their design dreams or their, you know, photography mm-hmm. projects. And like, I was, I was done with that. And I was really, I wanted to get my hands dirty, so to speak, even though you were always telling me That you have to keep your hands clean, you know, of coffee and everything else. (laughs) But I was ready to get my hands dirty. And so back in those days of 2011, 2012, Mm -hmm. there was no shortage of barista in Melbourne and no one was looking. And so it it was hard to, A, you know, be very green and very new even though I was excited and enthusiastic, I had nothing to bring to the table. And and B, you know, no one wanted to take on someone that had no experience. So um, it, was a, it was really a hustle. And I um, I remember uh, talking to the few people I knew. And um, long story short, I even managed to, so uh, Chris Wood actually uh, taught me one night after hours at Proud Marriott to make a you know, one shot of espresso. Uh, I'm thankful for that. And then also, but it was it was so green. And then um, Matt also hooked me up with like this really uh, uh, strange interview uh, in the CBD. And I, I remember showing up and they, it was like, I, I was just bluffing. It was like, can you make coffee? I was like, sure. And it was oh like, well, <laughs> I know it was so bad. And, uh, and everybody knew what was going on. It was like, everybody was seeing the train wreck of me training like, make an espresso and steam a pitcher of milk and no one said anything everybody's really really gentle and like so you know i, I put that shot on the the, mm. I, the only experience i had was like that one night with chris uh making coffee at proud mary and so i um what was that place i don't remember it was in cbd it was anyway um oh, would, it, would it
1: be uh yeah i can't remember it's one of the one of the the yes yeah one of the saint yeah. ali family
0: yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, and they were, I think Matt was like, you know, this guy, I know my friend, I don't, remember, I don't know what he said. but it's like, so they were giving me, if I was anyone else, I think they would have been like, you know what, mate, come back in a year or whatever. But they were gentle and they let me go through the whole thing. And it was, it was a mess. Like the pitcher was making all the wrong noises <laughs> and the coffee was pouring the wrong way. And so, you know, they just looked at me and we don't have to say anything. They're like, okay, well, you know. I I don't even think they said we'd let you know. It was kind of like, okay, well, you know, do you want a coffee or like you want do you want a muffin or something? Oh, anyway, yes. so it was it was bad. It was bad. And so I keep hustling and I keep trying. And so um, Eileen Kenny was really instrumental. We were talking on Twitter back in those days. And so long story, but she told me that her friend Mark Free was doing this coffee pop up, uh, black coffee pop up oh, in the coffee. city. Do you remember that? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And so they were looking for people to just do air presses and like a couple of days a week. And I was like, That I can do. I can make an aeropress. I do that at home fairly often. And so uh, I went out there. It was like Sorry, on the fifth floor. I, I don't worry about it. Drink, drink I some didn't... tea. I've got to eat at the wrong home. <laughs> it's <God>. just but <laughs> I, I have a really good cup. <laughs> you just pictured me making that a really shameful coffee. I know. Makes me want to puke a little oh, bit as well. Is... It was so embarrassing. That
1: terrible timing.
0: I... <laughs> Oh my god! I
1: think um, I almost and yet, died just then.
0: Sent- <laughs> are you okay? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good.
1: I'm good. I'm back to 100. <laughs> <laughs> percent
0: And so yeah, I went up there to that that CBD uh, black coffee pop up, and I was making those those presses, and you came, and so all this to say that that's, that's ex- I remember that you and I meeting was was at at that uh, event. And um, I don't know if, I don't remember, that's when you can, you know, maybe pitch in. I, I don't remember if I uh, uh, pitched you and I was like, I'm trying to do this thing. Could you train me? I don't remember. Or Eileen said, my friend maybe can train you. I don't remember how this whole thing came together.
1: It might have been our- Matt as well, because I think you and Matt met through Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, and Matt had said to me, <clears throat> I know this guy, and I know it's a bit weird, but I feel like if you have some room for him at, at Duchess, then... I think it might be good for both of you maybe. I think is what he said. I can't remember the exact oh, words, wow. but it was he definitely sold you in uh f- yeah.
0: And oh, said, wow, like,
1: th- yeah, so I think you definitely owe Matt a little <laughs> yeah, like oh. for facilitating too.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think I owe Matt a great deal I owe Eileen as well. I think I yeah. made, like one of their first connections, so definitely yeah. owe these people a lot. That and then dream. so you were you were there, and um, I think you said come come to Spotswood tomorrow or something, and we can we can have a chat or something <laughs> like that. And uh, it might not have been much for you, but like it was the first proper like solid opening and lead I had in weeks of trying to like do this coffee thing, you know. And you were like, mm-hmm. well, you know what, no promises, but like come to Spotswood. So I got on the train, and it was like you said, it was it was a little far and it was a little strange. And I remember like getting in Spotswood and, Finding Duchess and this place was like an oasis, you know, out of, there was nothing around, but you walked in and it was smelling like good coffee and amazing food. And I remember sitting on that table in the corner by the dishwashing station and I had steak and like something else. It was perfect. I had some dessert. You made sure I had everything. You just sent food my way, I remember. And then once I was really well fed, you sat down and you were like, okay, well, so tell me about that thing you want to do. And we had a bit of a yeah. chat and, and you were like, okay, well, I'll train you. Um, and it was such a huge relief because, and it was very scary as well because I was both excited and scared, but like it was, I, I finally, you know, I was going to make coffee in a cafe and I don't remember, I'd be super interested in getting your side of that story if you had to ask permission or like how this whole thing happened, but um, that's, you gave me my shot, you know, there and then, and, uh, and that's where my journey started. That was, that was moment one of me just doing this thing all the way till now it started there
1: i think i was i was looking for a barista for sure because as i, as I mentioned like people didn't look at duchess as a coffee opportunity you know right. it was it was not one of those specialty coffee places that attracted the people who wanted to work in specialty at the time so i wasn't like beating off candidates with a stick <laughs> <and> her, <laughs> And and you know and also like Jared who started working there at the same time he was a young guy who had never worked in coffee before either but I saw he 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 reminded me a lot of you as well in a sense that like he was an athlete and so he had this discipline associated with being an athlete and I was like you know those skills are transferable to coffee <laughs> so and it, it was the first, like I hire this way still to this day I don't typically hire people with experience because I'd rather find uh, the right spirit in somebody mm. and then mm. train them the skills that they need. Um, because I, th- I think that sometimes the people who are very skilled at coffee, are maybe like lacking in the other things that make hospitality great. So true. yeah, true. I think that Thanks. was my, my theory back then. And it still holds true today of like, as long as someone has the enthusiasm to learn, um, and I guess I have the patience to teach them, which mm. I think like I, I wasn't, I think I remember I was, there were some times when I wasn't so patient with you, which I think <laughs> I, I've now changed, I think a bit. Um, but yeah, it was basically like I had an opening for a barista and I knew how green you were. And I was like, okay, this is probably going to be a challenge. And I think, you know, Bob had like left the hiring and stuff up to me. She knew what I needed to find and we knew the mm. shifts that needed to be filled and, and all of those things. And at that time I was also trying to do like, my pastry apprenticeship as well I don't know if you remember but I, I don't in the remember kitchen.
0: that no I, I was too self-focused on me and learning and I mean we chatted a bunch but I forgot you were doing a pastry apprenticeship
1: yeah yeah I was I was working in the kitchen with Andy it was before Sarah started at Duchess too um but yeah I was in in the back and I was helping in the kitchen and, and learning how to do those things I was not tough enough to work in Andy's kitchen honestly Ooh, <laughs> like I I mean, he's an amazing guy and an amazing chef, but he's also like one of those old school chefs that kind of Absolutely. rules with the whip. And uh, I don't thrive in those situations, so I didn't. I I didn't last long. But I was the manager of the <laughs> shop, and I was running the cafe, and like. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot. I already had a lot on my plate.
0: So yeah, you were doing a lot. I remember that, and um, it's funny. So thank you for reminding the good people of the internet that I used to work out back in those days. Because people look at me now, and they don't, it, there's nothing left. So I appreciate <laughs> the little segue. You know, thank you, Taylor, for reminding everybody. That I was, uh, I was doing a fair bit of CrossFit back in those days, and it's all gone. You know, it's it's okay, but uh, uh, you're right. I had that discipline. I remember, and uh, I, I was I was up early. I would go to the uh, CrossFit gym, and then I would I would come in and and learn from you. And uh, it's true. I was in that mindset of just doing so much. I, I think I was another. I'm not old percent. I'm 34, but you have that juice when you're like 24. I just I felt like I could do anything. You know. Um yeah, your but
1: enthusiasm you, was so infectious, honestly. I was like, where the fuck do you get your energy from? <laughs> <laughs>
0: i was excited it was new i had my break i do you know that after you told me come back when you told me like okay we, you start tomorrow i left spotswood went back to that little studio sarah and i were sharing where she was doing her stuff i was doing mine not where we're living we're like doing things like i was doing my design and she was uh, i went back and we actually popped a bottle of champagne as, as cliche and cheesy no as it sounds i was like fucking yeah like i this is this is step one of our journey and uh it was it was it was it was not easy and you know this tailor person is giving me a chance and I'm going to do everything i can not to let her down but i was it was a big deal for us we we actually toasted over that um and and That's you're
1: really you're amazing i had no idea of this part of the story holy shit dude <laughs>
0: Yeah, man, it was, it was, that was it. And, um, it looked, it looked grim for a while, you know, no one wanted anything to do with me. Everybody was very nice, you know, because Melbourne is, uh, I thought really, it was really friendly and, um, but, but no one was like, Hey, come, come, come behind the bar, you know, let's make oh, coffee together. Oh, the doors together.
1: were closed. Like it's changed oh, yeah. now for sure, because I think people have realized the value of people that don't know how to make coffee sometimes. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of coffee gatekeeping at that point in time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. yeah and you were the person that opened the door and that was huge and you know so uh, and you and to go back on your training you were actually really really nice and I was a very slow learner you know and um it's something that prepping this episode I was like I'm going to tell people that because I think that sometime when you start something new or if you come late to hospitality or coffee making you know there, there's sometimes where you you're little um it's hard you know and I was uh, uh, Jared you were talking about Jared my good mm. friend Jared who now Owns also a, a cafe with his girlfriend Anna, uh, Alches. Uh, he was such a quick learner, and so it was it was it was double doubly hard for me because not only was I pretty clumsy and inefficient and like just not really good at it, not a natural. I, I got good at it later on through just sheer effort. But originally, I was I was pretty dumb behind the tools, you know, and, uh, and Jared was just such a natural, like he could steam anything, uh, his brain could like, because back in those days, we were doing skim milk, whole milk, uh, we were doing like almond milk, uh, or soy milk, uh, and he would like, he would see order coming in, and he would like pour the perfect amount of milk, never wasting a drop, it was efficient and fast, and so I was always reminded by how good it was, how bad I was, you know, and... uh but eventually I got, I got there and, um, and and then so I made millions of coffee in my life and I'm, I'm a pretty good barista now. But like, I just for the people listening now, uh, if you start a new job or if you don't come from hospitality and you're trying to make a change and it's hard, uh, it's possible. It's just going to take you long, longer than some people, I guess. Some people are just better at it, I guess, You know, from the get-go.
1: I think that there's something that I should definitely mention because I think this says a lot about your character and it also just says a lot about where we were at the time. So so Duchess was uh, they always did well enough, but things were always tight. And of course, me being the shop manager, like I was those pressures were on me to make sure that we were, you know, staffing correctly and not paying, you know, the wages were right and whatever. And there was a moment where I, I had to like lay down the gauntlet to you and say like, "Look, Nico, with this amount of training, you should be at this level. You're at this level right now. And you said to me, I care so much about this. I will train for free. I will come back and I'll be here and you don't have to pay me because this is how much I want to, I want to learn. And I said, this is, and you said, this is how much I'm committed to this thing. And I think it was only, it wasn't that long. It was a couple of days. Like it wasn't, but it was that fire that was lit under you of yeah, like, I
0: forgot about that actually. Do you I not remember this?
1: I remember I think... thinking you did this thing and I was like, Holy shit, you are really, really committed. Cause we just we couldn't afford to pay you like twenty bucks an hour anymore to to be kind of useless.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know my god, I'm so, I'm ashamed so sorry, sorry. No, people need to know. People need to you know.
1: It it made me understand that people learn different ways. Mm. You know, it, it was the first time in my life that I really because like you and Jared kind of came up at the same time. And I remember it, it, the, the approach to both of you had to be so different because you 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 gained information in different ways. And it was yeah, when I when I said that to you, you didn't take it as a defeat. You were just like, okay, what do I have to do in order to mm. be able to achieve this thing? And I think it says so much about your spirit and it says so much about your determination. And yeah, it was unreal. I couldn't believe it. It's it's such a poignant <laughs> memory for me of you doing that. Um, and also, I'm sorry. Like, that's no. so harsh
0: as well. Oh, no, no, no. Never be sorry. Like I said, you know, you're such a great deal. And, uh, and I remember almost getting the boot as well. Uh, And so that's another question I had for you. Sorry, it's really quite an introspective episode. But like, I'm, I, I really, you know, you're that person that was there with me when I started. And so I just want to You know, know as much as I can. But I remember uh, one day, I think a similar talk with Andy, the owner, and it was like it was the first time that I got really close from getting fired. And uh, it was like let's let's cut the back. There was a little you know a little outside area at the back, and oh my god, he was wearing these whites from the kitchen, and uh, he got a glass of wine. I think it was after service, and so we sat at the back, and it was like. I don't know, man. And I was like, I know, Andy. I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I don't know why it's not clicking. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm really trying. And it was like in the, you know, in the morning. Like, I would make his his first coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. and like I would pour this like really shitty half apple, and he'd look at it, you know, with that Andy face. He'd look at the apple, and then look at me, and it was like, how long have you been working here? And they just walk away, and I was like, I can remember Ooh. those words
1: coming out of his mouth, like, "Holy oh, shit, man.
0: It was bad, man. It was bad. And so, like, back in outside, you know, it was, it, it was, he just very gently, actually, kind told me, you know, I, I I'm, and. I, I, don't, I didn't have the tools back in those days to understand, but it was the owner. Like you said, things were tight. Spots would, they were really pushing the envelope with everything they were doing. Uh, and there was no no money or time for a guy like me. I get that now, you know? Uh, and I got emotional. I think I even teared up, you know, because like I was losing it. I was losing my one chance, you know? Um, I don't remember what saved me. Maybe it was you. I never got the end of that story, but it didn't quite fire me. And I managed to stay for a while longer. But, um, yeah, I got close a couple of times and I think I was quite good with customers and, and just a happy guy. And I think that's why I I was allowed to stay a bit longer than I should have. But We all loved
1: you. We all loved you. And we all wanted you to do great as well. And I think that that was when Andy and I, like when you offered to come in and train for free. Uh, was, like, you wanted to show us, like, how much you were willing to put into it. And I think it was when that ultimatum happened from Andy of, of saying, like, you know, it's, you need to be a bit better than this. And then we just worked it out that that was it. And it. But it wasn't a very long period of time before we were like, okay, yeah, you've progressed to a point yeah. where, where it's good.
0: At, at one point, you started having – you have a – I've seen this – So then fast forward, I was able to make coffee and, you know, we opened Hollybelly and I was making a lot of coffees then and got got quite good. And then we were – we hired our first – you know, we started hiring like barista staff. And um, I remember people struggling in the same way. And so – but there's just that – you need to get to that point where it just clicks and then everything Mm. gets easier. But that click Mm -hmm. for some people is like two weeks for some people. It's a month for some, like in my case, it took months, you know, plural, uh, to the point where I almost gave up. But once you get over that, that, you know, that hump, then it's okay. But it's, uh, it, it, it was hard. It was hard. I was even bad on the floor. I remember stuffing up orders because the menu had those crazy names. There was the king of this and the prince of that, and the and the, and, and you remember that? And so I would go to it. like so I was I was hating those mornings. I would go in and someone was like. You got to be on the floor this morning, and I was, or like, do both. You have to do coffee and a bit of service because it's yeah. slow and it's it's nine a.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I was dreading those days because I was always stuffing up food, and food was such a high level. Everything mm-hmm. was beautiful ingredient, and everything was made at a minute. And I would I would show up to a table. I was like, "Is your Prince of Wales?" And I was like, "Well, I wanted the King." This, and I was like, "Fuck," you know, no. and like the, walking back to the kitchen and to Andy and be like, "Sorry, Andy, not the I got it wrong." it was mm. it's the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life i was it was so scary you know, going back to it the,
1: other end, the other end of andy's ref like he's just not a guy you want to fuck with really
0: oh no oh no oh no oh no 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 it was yeah i still remember that vividly i remember you know what i did it was like so he said like whatever man like it's you know it's i have to do it again i'm gonna put that in the bin you know it was not even angry it's just but made me feel real bad and i actually opened the teal and paid for the dish with like my own money because yeah. i was like you're an idiot well yeah it was it was it was bad you know you when you fuck up like that um but yeah and so then one day i heard andy talking and it, they needed uh, one more person in the kitchen and sarah was looking and i was hoping my girlfriend could come uh but little did i know that she'd have to be there at 5 a.m every day and they were doing everything from scratch and she wasn't so heavy on the meat back then and they were doing like black pudding from scratch blood everywhere at like five in the morning they were crumbling like veal's brains and it was it was a great place, man. We I think we're both lucky that we uh, went through those doors for as long as we did.
1: Oh, I'm so grateful for the time that I spent there. There was one day where I was just working, and Andy was like, "Hey, open your mouth and like put something <laughs> in my mouth." And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's a crumbed fucking lamb's brain or whatever it was."
0: <laughs> like,
1: and I'm like, "Dude, you gotta you gotta warn me before you put off in my mouth unexpectedly."
0: <laughs> At night in the morning. It was nothing <laughs> a place, though, was, and and there was I don't want to speak too quickly, but there was nowhere quite like it ever since. You know, I, I went back to Melbourne uh, a, a few years after opening Hollybilly, and uh, um, it, it, it was, there were some good cafes, but nothing like what Duchess was back in those years. I think you know, it was it was it, it was exceptional.
1: I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, and I think that the time, like, it was just that perfect timing. You know,
0: yeah, it, that was stars where align. Melbourne
1: stars aligning for sure.
0: So fast forward a little bit. So um, you, I remember, I was working at Duchess that day, and you started hinting that maybe you're gonna be moving to Paris, which was crazy because I kind of got there, and you were. We kind of, you know, we were, we spent a, a fair amount of time together, but like mm-hmm. I was starting my journey, and you were starting your new journey, and so it was taking you to Paris, um, and that's kind of when you and I, I wouldn't say drifted apart because it wasn't like it wasn't sad or like we didn't fight or anything, but you just went your way, you know, and so that's when I'm gonna st- start talking less. And you guys start talking more, telling us what you did after that. So you left, you went to Paris and then.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like um, the, you mentioned Chris in in the earlier part of the conversation. Chris was actually my, my ex-boyfriend. And Melbourne coffee scene was such a small p- puddle at that point in time. And I felt like I'd managed to work my way up the ladder and I felt like there was nowhere left for me to go. And I was feeling a little bit at sea, I guess I would say. And yeah I just felt like, oh, I just wanna i would just want to do something bigger, but I just didn't know what was next and one night I got a message on Facebook, and this is back in the days when like messaging on Facebook wasn't super common thing mm-hmm. uh, from like a random guy who was like, "Oh, you made me this espresso uh this many years ago in a cafe in Melbourne, and it changed my life, and he said, I'm reaching up to you because i want I want to invite you to move to Paris and help me run my cafes and I was like. I'm just cool, I'm just gonna go and get like sex trafficked by this guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, this is like a, a really cool opportunity and, and a, something that could really change the course of my life. And I, I was like, sure, let's do it. Let's pack it up. Let's go to France. Let's give it a go. So I moved to Paris. I didn't know anyone, I didn't even know this guy. His name was Antoine. Uh so I went there not knowing anyone, never having been to Europe before. All of my stuff I kind of put into like a storage shed because I was like, ah, maybe this is going to go terribly and I'm going to have to move back to Australia, and that's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I moved there, and I I loved my life in France. Like, I think that the French culture suits me pretty well, especially because I don't, I didn't go there with any expectations. I didn't know anything about the city. I didn't know anything about the people. It was a really cool time in the coffee scene in Paris too. It was when everything was starting to happen. Uh, in 2012, and yeah, there was just a great crew of people, and they were really open arms and accepting, just good folks like Nico and Toma and yeah, yeah. David, and yeah, all those guys, just like legends.
0: Um, I had them both on the podcast, actually. We had a uh, Nico uh, and uh, and David on on the pod. They're, we're still really good friends, and they're still really good guys. Just as a side note,
1: I love them. I love them. Um, but yeah, it was just like this really beautiful moment in time. I didn't enjoy my job so much just because. I think they were the kind of opposite of the people, the kind of person that you are. Like they talk a big Mm. game but their follow through is not the same and I felt like I was promised a lot and then nothing really ever happened. And, I mean, coming from a business owner's perspective now, I understand that the pressures that they were under and I was understanding like I think I was being a little bit of a a spoiled shit as well, like just expecting too much too soon. Um, But it was a bit of a clash of personalities and I realised pretty quickly that – um, whilst I really liked my life in France, maybe I didn't enjoy mm. my job so much. And and yeah. impo- and my work being good is always a, it's the driver in my life. So if my work's yeah, not same. good, then nothing else is
0: good. So how old were you then? How old were you when you made the big move and just put everything in a, sh- in a storage unit? Twenty-three. Twenty-three. Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah. <laughs> I pretty young. Could, I could never now. I, I just look at how brave I was. I just made me think I was stupid, actually. Like, I was no, so that, moved and so courageous.
0: Yeah, like, what were people saying? What were people saying around you when you, because again, the podcast is really to inspire others as well. And like, there might be people out there that are 23 and that want to make that big move and, and you know, take that, that long trip somewhere else. And there are doubts or fears. Yeah. What were people saying around you? How did you fend them back? And, you know, touch on that a little bit
1: was actually really excited for me. Like, I don't think that I... Other than my parents saying, like, hey, do you actually know this guy? <laughs> and
0: uh, Just being parents, um, that's fair enough.
1: Yeah, just, like, are you sure you're not going to go to France and, like, disappear into a sex trafficking ring? That was... <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but I felt like I trusted him enough. We had a couple of really blurry Skype calls. Like, for sure. Like, it could have gone terribly, but it was fine. Um, but, yeah, everyone was just really excited and super supportive and, and people... People understood that, like, I needed to spread my wings a little bit and they were thinking, like, ah, oh, if anyone could do this, probably Taylor is the person mm. that could do it. And, yeah, just I had everyone's blessing and it seemed to be the right choice at that time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do and, re- and, and Sorry?
0: I was I was going to say, do you remember what when you got off that plane at, like, Charles de Gaulle or Lee or whatever, do you remember your thoughts of, like, being 23 and, like, in Paris for the first time?
1: Well, I mean, the main thing was when I – when I moved, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna move with like my whole life in some suitcases, so I need to bring everything that I need to live in this new place." But you know what the travel laws, uh, the travel rules are about when you travel from Australia? You can have like one suitcase that weighs 23 kilos, That's and to it. move your whole life in 23 kilos, I came to the airport with like three suitcases. And then right before my flight, I had to decide what I was going to
0: leave behind. No, they made you choose. Yeah, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because I'd I'd called ahead and said, like, hey, how much do I have to pay for extra baggage? And they'd given me the wrong information. And then I realized it wasn't worth the extra money because it's crazy expensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, And, yeah, so, like, I started the flight with that, like, proper stress sweat. Mm. And I was like, I dressed up all fancy for the plane. I actually had dinner at Duchess before I left with my whole family. (laughs) And I dressed, I was like wearing makeup and I was like, uh, you know, like cute and whatever. And then I got on the plane, like the strap of my bra was broken and I was just like such a mess. But when I finally (laughs) landed, you know, like I couldn't reach Antoine on the phone because he said he was going to be there at the airport to pick me up. And I remember, th- like, standing there with my bags being like, oh, my God, if I come all this way and this thing is going to fall through and I, like, I don't have anywhere to go. A- anyway, like, you didn't, we went back on the train and I and I was in this, like, little flat that I rented for, like, the first month that I was there. And it was next to Gardenault, I think. Yeah. It was yeah. next to the main train station or maybe Gardenault, something like that. And, uh, and I remember being in there and being like, oh, yeah, this feels like the start of my new life. I don't think there was ever a point where I felt afraid or intimidated or frightened. It was just like, okay, what's next? Yeah, and that, yeah. that, was, that was just the attitude that I had at that time. Like, thinking of me now, I'm much more cautious now. But back mm. then, it was just like, I felt like I almost had nothing to lose, in a sense. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, if I don't do this thing, I'll just, I'll just go back. And, and that's yeah. fine. Sorry. it's
0: money and time it's really just money and time you know but mm-hmm. also those years are so formative and like i don't know if looking back now you know you see your time in paris as like um a, a stop that gave you maybe some tools and like some wisdom that helps you later on when you we'll, we'll talk about it but like when you started doing your own things mm-hmm. uh maybe you also working with people and it's not so you said you worked at that place and it didn't quite work out um it also helps you shaping your business and like you know you don't have only have to be inspired by the people that do things well you can also be inspired by the people that do things not so well and you like when I have my home place um, I-, I won't be doing that you know it, it, it can also help you uh, a lot.
1: Yeah I mean the, the main thing that I do take away from my time in Paris was in Melbourne for some reason uh, I really suffer from you know that concept of imposter syndrome of I don't feel like I'm very good uh, and I thought that in Melbourne perhaps I had charmed my way into into being a, like a having a good reputation and I thought that if I went to Paris, where no one knew me, I could start on a blank slate, and I could really earn my reputation. And you know, I, I managed to garner like a pretty strong reputation relatively quickly as a as a really great professional in my with my skills. And to me, that th- it was this really defining moment of like, yeah, you are who you think you are, and mm, you don't have yeah. to prove anything. And, you know, you've, you've done it. You did it twice and you can do it again if you want to. And I did later, like I moved to another city as well. Um, and yeah, it was just this moment of, of like, you don't have to doubt yourself anymore. You got, you got it. It's fine.
0: You you proved to yourself that you were who you thought you were, you know, and, Hmm. uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. And so you stayed in Paris for like a, a good year, big year, a long year. Oh yeah,
1: I got, I got there in March and I left in November and it was like, oh, yeah. it was, it was quicker than I wanted for sure. Like, I think I still have, my life in Paris was great. I, for, for a brief moment in time, I was like the cool girl. I'm not the <laughs> cool girl at all. But in France, somehow I fell into this thing of being like really cool cool and happy and i had a great group of friends and i had i was like the fittest that i've ever been in my life because you got me onto <laughs> crossfit and i started doing yeah. crossfit six days a week so i got really you know really fit and really strong and yeah just had I, some of the friends that i made in paris are still some of my best friends to this day actually because we're just a good it was, city mm, it's a great it's city a good-
0: I feel like it's like Melbourne a little bit. You know, when you first get there, it's not obviously pretty. I mean, it's kind of pretty, but uh, it's also, if, especially if you live in Gardeno, gardel area, it's, it's you know, smells like piss a lot. So first you get there and you're like... like eh.
1: in and croissants, I feel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'll be the title of my bio if I ever write a, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you, you, you stick with it a little bit, you know, like Melbourne. You know, first I was like, I don't know, this place is kind of weird. And then you, you, you stick around for, for, for a few weeks and, and you really start seeing seeing it for what it is and uh i think paris is that way you know it can be a little a little intimidating and not super pretty and, and a bit a bit rough around the edges at first but then if, if you stick around it really really starts opening up like you said and you can have a really good fun life mm. here i reckon yeah
1: i think i definitely did it the right way in the sense that i know there's a lot of people you know people who are now watching watching emily in paris and, and being mm. like r- romanticizing the city in that way i didn't know anything about it like i I think the most that I'd ever done is I'd maybe watch like Amelie on yeah. the movie. Um, yeah. But to me, like I had no conception about France or French people or like anything. I just went with like a blank slate. And That's the best and way I, to go about it. Yeah. Having a blank slate is great because you, you, you can't disappoint yourself in that way. <laughs>
0: That's I mean, it. Yeah,
1: I was disappointed because my job wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but everything else was a plus. Like, and I, I, I have something magic about like uh, the place I ended up living was around the corner from. Um, it was in the the next to Republic, mm-hmm. um, on that street where all the kebab shops are, and I lived around the corner from Dupan de Desider. Uh, oh. And I would like go and do yoga in the mornings and then go back and get like a um, a pistachio and chocolate like escargot on the way home. And I'm like, fuck me, it doesn't get any better than this.
0: No, <laughs> like, they're the best. It? I can tell you, I've sampled. Hundreds, because uh, Panadesi has been our like you know official supplier of bread uh, since the start, and we had to hustle to get that bread again. They didn't want to sell to us, but then they did. Mm. And um, I would go early in the morning, pre-opening, seven a.m. Knock on the back door uh, of the bakers, and I would always get like the the first pistach- pistachio rolls, like hot, and uh, they're the best. They're oh so good. They're still it's still good.
1: It's it's a special place, and I mean. Uh yeah, it's it was that was the fountain of like a lot of people, like amazing hospitality people too. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. Still is good, still is good. So moving forward, so then you okay, so Paris, you've done it, you've you've seen what you had to see, work wasn't the best, so then you're like time I was, what happened um, next.
1: So thank thank goodness for the the French uh holiday culture, August came along and they're like, Oh yeah, we're shutting down a cafe for a month, like go and enjoy your life and also get your whole salary for the month. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah, we do that. I went traveling um, around Europe and it's like the only time that I've ever done this because I've always been working every other time. I've never done this again. Uh, And in that time I did like a big trip. I went to the Netherlands to see an old friend and I went to Copenhagen for Nordic barista cup and I went to London as well, uh, during that period. And in Copenhagen, I ran into Tim Wendelboe, uh, and Tim and I had met, uh, in 2010 when he'd come to do like a talk at Market Lane okay. where you and I both worked. Yep. Um, and the day that he did the talk, I actually got hit by a taxi on my way to work. I was riding my bike to work and I got hit by a taxi, but I went to work anyway, even though I was like bleeding horrifically because I really wanted to see him speak. <laughs> because yeah Flo was like oh no you can't you can't come and get a ticket for free you can work if you want to see him speak and I was like oh okay um but yeah so I um he remembered me because of that and we met at this conference again and he said he was with a couple of the girls that he on his team and they leaned over on my shoulder on one of the, the panels and they said like hey um have you ever thought about coming to Oslo and working for us and I was like are you joking me that's basically like one of my life dreams I will drop everything and go and work for you and then the ironic thing after all of my travels in August they'd renovated the one of the shops uh during the break and I came back and it was there was just construction rubble everywhere and it was just an absolute mess I opened up my laptop to plug it into the speakers and there was an email from Tim Barney saying like hey we weren't we weren't bullshitting when we offered you a job. Do you want to come and move to Oslo? Like that was the email that came up when i walked into this shit show yeah. this construction site and I was like, fuck yeah. And I dropped you saw everything. The sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dropped everything. And I think like less than a month later, uh, I was in Oslo. Yeah. that's, my, that's... It, was, it, it took me two months. It was like, I had to organize leaving and I, and I spent some time back in Australia just to see my, I think my sister got married and, yeah but I like I'd never been to Oslo either but yeah I I think I'd in that period of time in Paris like I bought a ton of vintage clothes and stuff so I think I I came to Paris with one suitcase and I left with four or something (laughs) and I flew into Oslo minus 20 degrees snow on the ground I was like I was like what have I got myself into what is this
0: (laughs) it looks like a bit of a theme like you again kind of jumped into the unknown like not really knowing the city and you again like a, a job took you there like the first time with paris right
1: yep oh
0: right, uh, so,
1: sorry i just got distracted by a slack message that just came in on my computer Don't no worry. <laughs> do you need middle? a minute I Do no, 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 no. It's it's just like questions going back and forth between the others. Um, but what, can you ask the question? No, right I said here?
0: once. Like I see a theme. Like once again, you kind of jumped into the unknown, like you did with Paris. A job took you there, and like you didn't know the city so well, and like what you, what was waiting for you there. But you took it because the job was too good to pass on, and uh, and you you were going to figure it out once you got there.
1: Exactly, and and that's the thing. Like by this time, my finances were running a little bit slim as well, and I was like, this is kind of my last the last stop on my journey. If, if this doesn't work out, then I'm definitely going to have to go back home and, and figure it out. But um, I, How was that? I, love, I loved my job at Tim's. Like, honestly, to me, it just felt like, Everything was right, and you yeah. know I I really enjoy the cold weather. Like I'm Australian, and I, I enjoy hot days, whatever. But the the extended periods of time above forty degrees for weeks at a time, like it's not it's not really for me. It's bad,
0: <laughs> especially when you do what we do. You know, I remember sweating my balls off behind yeah. the bar, and it, it's bad. It's bad. Mm.
1: I mean, the darkness is a bit tricky here. Like, it's definitely it it gets it's it got to me after the first couple of years, and I I, I definitely have to take some like evasive actions so that I don't get too affected by the lack of sunlight and the weather. But uh, I mean, Oslo is a pretty magic place to live. Like, democratic socialism, dude. <laughs> there, there are some there are like safety nets here. And the healthcare system, and just just everything, your proximity to nature, that the quality of the housing, oh. the, the 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 way that people are paid, and the and the social systems in place, like paid vacations, and yeah, it's just like it's about as close to utopia as you can get. I think it sounds but,
0: great. It's, mm, yeah. it's pretty
1: good. I, it, it comes with its own problems, you know, as every of place. But, yeah, working for Tim. I mean, I think Tim is probably one of the best bosses. I've had some really great bosses in my life. Like, I've had some shit ones and some great ones. And I think Tim is right up there with like. He demands a certain excellence from you, but he he lays it all out. Like the expectations are there.
0: And, was it you know, scary to work there? I was like, because for me, okay, like with my set of skills, if I, if I got a job there, I would be really really scared because from the from the outside looking in, it looks like that place where everything needs to be. Top notch, you know, and there's no room oh, for that. I, like... I already
1: was that. Like to me, this was like, okay, this is my, this is where I can show my excellence because, yeah, you know, there's there's this set of expectations, and he he shows you how you can like you he shows you the systems and the guidelines to achieve what is necessary to achieve. And then the other really interesting part as well is like they were also doing things that I thought were wrong, mm. um, you know, and there were some things that I came. I wasn't allowed to touch the coffee machine for the first couple of months of working there because I had to have this training with Tim before I could. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I've been making coffee for more than 10 years at this point. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm actually better than all of you at making at making coffee. And yeah, you That you're must have been horrid. Yeah, I had to swallow my pride a little bit, for sure. But yeah. it's it's his place and it's his rules. Like it's not up to me to decide. So Yeah. Um but, you know, when Tim and I had our training together, he was like, okay, make me a whole bunch of espressos. And I did. And he said, oh, the way you're making this taste like shit. And I said, have you ever considered that the way you're roasting these espressos is not good? And Oh, so wow. Said- you went there. <laughs> Yeah, I co- I mean, I called him on his on his bullshit almost from day one. Like, and I think that he appreciated it sometimes, but also it was probably the undoing of our relationship at the end because, mm. you know, it's like it's his place and he doesn't want his his team to question his his decisions or motives. You yeah. know,
0: <laughs> but that's definitely- a shame because you know you and I we both own businesses now, and like I don't know what is your relationship to staff, but like I always like to. Um, doors always open to feedback and ideas and also criticism. And I think in the end, we have the final call of being like, you know what? I appreciate you saying that. And I can see where you're coming from. And like, we're not going to do that. Or, but, you know, they're, especially in my position now where like I'm not in, I'm, I don't do service anymore and I don't make mm-hmm. coffee anymore. Uh, I think they're well-placed to tell me things that could be improved, you know, and uh, oh, of course.
1: Absolutely. Be- and, and I I think the power of delegation when you're a leader is the most amazing thing. Um, and I think like hats off to Tim. He really listened to me about that espresso thing and we, we changed up our roasting approach to the espresso, like Ben Kaminsky came in and we did like a whole change of our roasting program. And we started, it was, you know, we, I, I made us buy some scales to use behind the bar because like they didn't even have scales at that time. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this was a time when scales, we even had scales at Duchess. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember uh, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like starting to do a quality program of like dialing in the espresso every day that, that wasn't a thing then either. And you know, this oh, wow. is, this is seven or eight years ago now, yeah. so it's like this is. I'm not throwing shade at anyone, but no, there no. was certainly like. I think sometimes when you when you get when when you kind of take your own um, drink your own Kool Aid of like yeah. I am the best, then yeah. sometimes you don't look at some changes and, and some like um, modernizations in the industry. Um, and and adopt them because you think that you're above it. But we had a lot of part-timers that were like university students and and everyone was like doing their own thing when it came behind the espresso machine. And I was like, yeah, this definitely needs to be more regulated if you want to have better quality. (laughs) Yeah, Um, systems, consistency. You were...
0: Everything you were big on consistency, is- I remember that, and I took that from you, you know, it's like, it gotta be good every time, it's not good, chuck it, you know, and uh, I remember we were using this manual um, this manual grinders at Duchess. remember, you turn it on, it's clack, clack, it. clack, turn it on, yeah, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and like sometime I would get so close to the the right dosage, but like be slightly off and you were like, Nope, go again, go again. It was Mm-mm. how how are we making coffee like that? Manual, you know, it was and you would have to hit it was I think it was twenty grams back in those days or whatever. I don't remember the res- what the recipe was, but mm. it was it was it was difficult. It was hard, you know. You just get the right amount every time, you know, in the in the group head. It was it was difficult.
1: But you know what, in, in my, sh- like, and this is probably a question for later on, like in my shops now I've, I've built the bars in a way that it doesn't rely on an individual's ability to be able to replicate those things. Like mm-hmm. we, we have the, to take the technology to do that so that humans can be good at doing the things that humans do, yeah. um, which is it's, not,
0: <laughs> it's, not it's so true. It's yeah. so true, you know? And like. Um, it's some, when I when I when we when I came back to Paris and like the scene was already installed a little bit with like ten bells and other places, and they were so in love with the like artisan, like mm. you know handmade coffees, like really really like um, they were just everything. They just they were just at that stage where like everything was we'd have to do every step. It was there was almost a, a um, it was uh, it's hard to say, but they were um, proud of the fact that everything was they were making everything, and so I arrived from Melbourne being already slightly ahead of that curve. Mm. And we had a Matt Perger that was telling everyone machines are better than humans. And, 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 and it's, and I don't know if it was Matt or someone else that I think it was maybe Aaron Wood or, told me it's so dumb to pay a barista to look at a shot pouring into a cup. Like <laughs> we need <laughs> to real, you know, maybe you told me that I don't remember. And it was, and it, it was, it made such a big impact on me. I was like, absolutely. We have, I was always slightly more, service oriented than I was coffee making oriented. And and also it's something else that Matt talked about once and I was like makes sense. It was like there's two kind of barista. There's the barista that's really into like the tools and numbers and the the yields, you know, and then there's the service barista, the the the, the customer service barista. Um uh, and and I realized so heavily on the tools. I mean you have to understand your tools and you have mm-hmm. to understand what they do to coffee. But I'm a, like you at Hollybelly, we really we're much more a place where, like, we will calibrate and dial in the morning and then we'll trust and we'll keep checking on the machine. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't want my guys and girls to be looking at coffee pouring into cups the way it was in Paris when I came back. And the way it was sometime in Melbourne as well, where, like, we would do, mm-hmm. like, manual pedaling and stuff. And you have to stop your shots. And, like, oops, you didn't stop your shot, you know. Um, yeah. You, you have to rely the on the Time stock.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, you just gotta, gotta invest in and then trust your tools. Cause my kind of like hiring philosophy is you can teach anyone how to make great coffee, but you can't teach someone to not be an asshole.
0: So that's it. So true. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I've been through the motions because I think in seven years we hired maybe like, you know, 80 plus people, even though we have a pretty low turnover, uh, there's 32 of us. So the number kind of builds up and I've tried everything. I've tried hiring like seasoned baristas, it's no good, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's good. But sometimes you get really lucky. You have someone that makes great coffee. You just pop them behind the bar. They understand the the workflow straight away, and plus they're great people. And then like you know you have to cherish that person and keep them for as long as possible. But also sometimes you have that guy or girl who's got the skills, but is terrible at service and just not a really good team player. Yeah. Um, but also hiring someone that has no experience. That's exhausting because you have to train them and teach them everything, and you have to see some coffees leaving the bar that you're not super happy with, and it's really busy, and you're in the weeds, and you you get that, what do I do? Do I get that person to remake that coffee, or do I send it, but it's not up to standards? So it puts you in those situations as well where it gets really tricky in a busy service. Mm. So hiring is difficult. Hiring is difficult.
1: Yeah. It's really, really tricky. And I mean, it's, uh, it kind of amazes me to think that I, I think we have 36 people on our team now.
0: (laughs) Wow, You grew big time.
1: Yeah. It's been a big year. Um, but yeah. And like, we, we have had some turnover actually, because we, I mean, I opened my first cafe. Well, not my first, I opened my first cafe in 2017, but I opened my first cafe in, in this company, uh, February this year. And, the thing is with a startup company and especially a startup company, that's like trying to, to approach business a little differently. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a traditional leader, you know, because I, I believe in my own humanity and also being vulnerable and being transparent. And mm. that doesn't fly with everybody. Like there is mm. not, it, the, you know, everybody doesn't want to see their bosses as human, you know?
0: What do you mean? What do you
1: uh, mean? Do you mean it- uh I mean, I think, some people really need to put their boss in a place where they can, where their boss is, is the, the, the reason why they're unhappy. And they need mm. that, you know, they need yeah. to be able to whinge about something. And it's typically the boss is the scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true, the thing. It, it just doesn't fly in my company. Cause I'm not going to wear your grievances. Like we fix it or, or not. Like we, yeah. we fi- the only option is just to, to get better, to work through it, to improve. Yeah. Uh, cause I want people to be happy at work. So
0: yeah. Yeah. But
1: yeah it, and and I think like at this point in time, especially a lot of people who come on board with us, they see us, they meet us through Instagram and everything mm-hmm. is rainbows and sparkles and joy and happy and color. And then they, they see the day to day of it, which is like in the cafes, you know, putting donuts in bags and, yeah. and, you know, making coffees for people. Yeah. Uh, and in the kitchen, it's, it's like, it's pretty unglamorous work. Like you're frying yeah. things and it's yeah. dirty yeah. and it's hard work. Um, and, you know, you go home like pretty physically exhausted. Um, but, yeah, like I think there are some people that um, the, the, the disconnects between what they see on the outside and what the actual day-to-day is, sometimes it can come to a real as a real shock to them. And yeah. I think at the moment we're really working out for ourselves, like the people who believe in the dream and who see the bigger picture of where it is the potential that we can go to and who want to be a part of that, and then the people who – have gotten like a rude awakening when they've actually done the work that's required of the day-to-day um and then you know they realize it's not for them and that's cool too like it's uh it's not for everyone i think hospitality is a, is a tough job
0: all right guys this was the first part of my conversation with taylor uh, there's actually another hour of this for you coming up uh in the next episode